What's going on, everybody? And welcome in to this edition of B-Shape Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you. Evening hours of Friday, December 8th, 2023. And we're breaking down the big Cardinals news of the day. The Tyler O'Neill trade has finally taken place. What do we think of it? As the Cardinals send O'Neill, the two-time gold glover, the former top 10 finisher in the NL MVP vote to the Boston Red Sox in exchange for a couple of relief pitchers who you've probably never heard of, if we're being honest, coming into today, if you're a Cardinal fan. But what do we think of the return? We'll get into it in this edition of B-Shape Daily. Appreciate you guys for joining me. Make sure to hit that subscribe button in the bottom right-hand corner of this video if you want Cardinals content all off-season long. We were out at the winter meetings in Nashville this past week. Didn't get to do as many YouTube videos as I wanted. It was really a product of not a lot of internet that was accessible for me out there. But certainly with the Cardinals making the trade today that they did make, we had to jump on here and do a video. Plenty more Cardinals content to come. Bear with me. Now that I'm back home, it's honestly going to be a lot easier to do stuff than it was when I was out there in Nashville. But we learned some things in Nashville, and the the first of which was that John Mosellock used the name. Tyler O'Neill said, we're looking to trade him. He told MLB Network Radio that on Monday morning. We got a chance to ask him about it while we were out there. And he was pretty candid saying the Cardinals just didn't figure they had space for him to get the everyday type of opportunities that Tyler O'Neill still believes he deserves at this point in his career. And for the Cardinals and for Tyler O'Neill, it just seemed like a case where it would be maybe best for both sides to see a deal get done. And it was at that point that it became abundantly clear that a deal would get done. The Cardinals were not going to come into spring training with Tyler O'Neill on this roster. We mentioned that in the one video that we did from Nashville the other day, and today that comes to fruition with the deal. So we'll talk about the notion of O'Neill leaving in the first place, which I know we've kind of covered. We expected it if you've been watching the channel or listening to the podcast feed on B-Shape Daily. Uh, this is kind of the, the end result that we all thought would be coming. But the other aspect of this is, well, what do the Cardinals get in return? We knew they'd be looking for pitching, and they get some technically, but is it of the caliber that most people were hoping they would receive for Tyler O'Neill, a guy who certainly does have a lot of upside but just hadn't been producing for the Cardinals. And whatever opportunities he got, whether you consider it a case of mismanagement by the Cardinals to not give him enough opportunity, I don't really know how you could come down on that side of the fence. But I do think a lot of casual Cardinals fans will look at what Tyler O'Neill did in his best year and we'll look at what he did in the, the recent years and say, oh, I mean, the Cardinals didn't manage him right. They they should have given him more chances. Well, really, it boils down to health. And his durability just was not such that Tyler O'Neill was able to stay on the field enough the last two years to get as many opportunities to kind of turn things around as maybe some people think he should have had. The reality, though, and an angle that I feel like a lot of Cardinals fans try to use when they point to the disastrous 2023 the Cardinals gave Tyler O'Neill a ton of opportunities. In fact, I would make the case that he was one of the most heavily supported players by the front office coming into the season, whereas some guys like Dylan Carlson maybe had to scrap for every opportunity that they had. I would make the case that Tyler O'Neill was handed the opportunity on a platter. He played decently in the World Baseball Classic. Cardinals didn't get a chance to look at him up close, but they also knew that coming down the pike, they'd have a decision on Tyler O'Neill following the 2024 season as to whether or not they wanted him to be a long-term aspect of this team, a contract extension potentially. And so I would make the case that coming into last year, 
they gave him the runway. They said, hey, you want to be the center fielder? He came to the team and told them that's a position that he would like to be considered for. Okay, it's yours, buddy. Go ahead. Be the everyday center fielder to begin the year. Be a prominent part of the batting order. Try to recapture what you did in the, I believe it was the 2021 season in which Tyler O'Neill finished in the top 10 in the MVP vote. And for the, that was in, indeed the year. And for the Cardinals, it didn't last all that long, obviously. And if you go back and look, you only played like 10 games as the starting center fielder. It, it's not as much as we end up talking about it. But because of the beginning of the year being as big of a problem as it was for the Cardinals and how everything sort of snowballed from there, I do think it's relevant to look at where they started and the idea that they were never able to really get out from behind the eight ball that they put themselves in those first few weeks. And we all remember... With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The situation with O'Neill being called out by Ollie Marmel for a lack of hustle, a lack of effort, as was the perception of the manager. And I'll tell you, I was in those rooms after this event. I was in the press box the day that it happened. And it was one of those things that I haven't seen anything like it before or since. Ollie was very clear that he wasn't pleased with the effort of Tyler O'Neill. And it for a lot of people, they're like, whoa, he's coming out a little bit tough, a little harsh there for being five days into the season for a guy that the team had really planted itself behind and said, hey, he's going to have some run as the everyday center fielder. But I honestly think that was the, the self-fulfilling prophecy almost where Ollie thought, okay, this is the organizational viewpoint, whether it was Ollie's decision that he needed to be playing center field or if that came from a little bit above his head or it was a deal where, hey, from above his head, this is what we'd like to see. And Ollie, you know, as the manager gets on board, whatever the case might have been, I just know that Ollie Marmel was displeased to see, hey, you're getting all this opportunity. What are you going to do with it? Five days into the season, the manager looking on for the dugout going, that's not what it's supposed to look like. So, that's where the tension kind of overflowed. And from there, things ultimately settled down. But what you got from Tyler O'Neill during the season was kind of what you got from him in 2022. Inconsistency and not being able to stay on the field. Two and a half months, he was out with the back injury. Eventually made his way back. Wasn't hitting a ton before the issue. I think early May is when he went on the IL. He came back. And then when he came back, he started to maybe catch a little bit of a spark. But you remember in August when he was or I should say the team was down in Tampa Bay two days in a row. He was written into the lineup and was scratched by his own choosing due to not a knee injury, but just knee concern, discomfort, whatever. It was kind of vague. And two days in a row, Ollie Marmel, not to say he hung him out to dry, but said, yeah, you know, I put him in the lineup and then he said he couldn't play. From that moment, I said, he's not going to be on this team this year. And you can go back and listen to B-Shape Daily at the time. That was kind of the viewpoint is I just think that was the straw that broke the camel's back. And so all of that leads to this where the Cardinals on Monday via John Mozeliak, their president of baseball operations, he goes on MLB Network Radio and says, yeah, we're looking at Newpar in left, Tommy in center, Tommy Edmond, of course, and Jordan Walker in right field if we're to start today. And our fourth outfielder is Dylan Carlson. Oh, and by the way, Tyler O'Neill, we're listening to trade offers on him. 
I think it goes back to a couple of weeks ago with the non-tender deadline where the Cardinals did decide to tender Tyler O'Neill a contract, which told me they're just confident that they're going to be able to trade him. I thought there might be a chance that they would maybe look to non-tender him just to guarantee they don't have to pay the 5 or $6 million. Now we can say with confidence it was the right move to tender him the contract because I don't believe in the press release that there was any announcement that the Cardinals are sending any money to Boston as a part of this trade. So they were able to find a trade partner and get a couple of pieces that at least have a chance to help them. Now let's talk about the players the Cardinals are getting in return. Relief pitcher Nick Robertson and another relief pitcher Victor Santos. These two guys are both right-handers. They are both relatively inexperienced when you consider Major League Baseball experience. Robertson has at least seen a cup of coffee this past season. He pitched for the Dodgers and the Red Sox both. Uh, Just a little bit of opportunity for both teams, nine games for each. The numbers, they weren't that great, but I'd have to dig into the game log to really understand what happened for this pitcher because uh, the fielding independent pitching number is not too bad, but the ERA 6.04 in 22 and a third innings pitched, but had 26 strikeouts, did Nick Robertson in his major league appearances this year. And then you look at the AAA numbers, 42 innings across the two AAA affiliates for whom he pitched, 58 strikeouts in those 42 innings. So we talk about swing and miss, and we talk about that being something the Cardinals are looking to prioritize, which I do believe makes sense given the way that they were constructed last year. So for that to be a guy that they're able to pick up, 25 years old, controllable reliever, give him an opportunity. He does go right onto the 40-man roster, and we end up seeing what happens with it. I think he comes in with an opportunity, um, certainly, to earn a spot in this bullpen for the Cardinals. I think there's going to be a number of guys in that category. You also have the Cardinals making the move during the week in the Rule 5 draft where they select from Boston, ironically enough, Ryan Fernandez, the relief pitcher that they picked up in Rule 5 and will now have to be on the 26-man roster for the full season if the Cardinals are wanting to keep him. He's another guy that has some solid enough strikeout tendencies in 2023 across multiple levels of the minors, 67 strikeouts in 54 innings, but had a 6.16 ERA at the highest level in uh, the AAA affiliate for Boston, which I believe is pronounced Worcestershire. Like the sauce? Maybe not. However, it's said, that's where he pitched. And you look at the Cardinals going out and getting these guys. uh, I believe Fernandez is a guy with a solid mid-90s fastball, good sharp slider that plays off of that. Uh, They're looking for guys that have a couple of sharp, above-average pitches, and maybe they can find a way to hone those things. We know that Yadier Molina, as well, is officially, in some capacity, going to be joining the Cardinals. That's been announced as he has been labeled as a special advisor to president of baseball operations, John Mozeliak. I think he's going to be down at spring training. I think he's going to be honestly a coach on the field as often as he wants to be. But by labeling him as a special advisor, um, he doesn't have the obligation to be 162, six months out of the year, a coach in the dugout. But he's going to be in uniform, according to John Mozeliak at times. So honestly, I think it's just going to be as much as Yachty wants to do. And this just gives him the flexibility to decide he doesn't want to do that much. We'll see, but I think his presence will be a positive and hopefully a positive for some of these pitchers the Cardinals are picking up, whether it's Fernandez or whether it's uh, Robertson or even Victor Santos if he gets an opportunity um, in the major leagues this year, which I'm not exactly sure for Santos what it's going to be. 23 years old, no uh, big league experience. The most experience that he had was in 2022, making it to the AAA level where he had a 4.95 ERA in 43 innings. 
um, striking out 47 batters in those 43 innings, so decent numbers. But you'll notice I said 2022. I still have not seen exactly what happened to him this past year, but he didn't pitch in minor league baseball in 2023. I'm going to assume Tommy John just because that's typically what it is. But uh, it does look like he has some uh, some statistics where he has retaken the mound 27 innings and actually making some starts down in the Dominican Winter League for Esquizito. I'm surely saying that wrong. But he is getting back out there on the mound. Some solid numbers, although I'm not going to dig in too much to what he's done in the Dominican Winter League just because it's kind of hard to um, replicate exactly what that means for his minor league or major league potential. But two right-handed pitchers, guys that'll go in the bullpen mix. One of them is not on the 40-man in Santos. The other one in Nick Robertson is. Just takes Tyler O'Neill's spot, so there's no 40-man issues that the Cardinals have to deal with at this point in time. You get a couple of pitchers, a flyer on both guys. One might be, you know, have more upside than the other. Maybe it's a case where Santos, because he was injured this past year, uh, wasn't as regarded in the Red Sox organization anymore. But it seems like both guys have strikeout potential. And I'm sure folks in the comments that really dig into the minors stuff will have an opportunity to say, hey, here's here's what I like about Robertson or Santos. So uh, make sure you hit up the YouTube comment section below and subscribe to this channel if you enjoy Cardinals content throughout the year. But what do I think of this move? Honestly, it's pretty simple for me. And there might be some people who just want to be upset with John Mozeliak. They just want to find things to complain about. And so they'll say, oh, it's a travesty to let go of Tyler O'Neill because of all the potential that he possesses, right? Eighth place finish in the MVP in 2021, multiple gold gloves. It's just a shame with the fact that the Cardinals still really haven't ironed out their outfield completely that they would consider trading him for the perception is not very much in terms of relief pitching. Some guys that you probably never heard of. My take is very different than that, though. I believe that Tyler O'Neill had to be off this team. And that's not to say that he's not going to go to Boston and be very successful. I actually think he landed in one of the places that he can be the most successful because of the green monster. First of all, um, left field range wasn't really a problem for him, but it's going to give him a chance to where every ball he's going to be able to get to it as a fielder in left when you're playing at Fenway Park and in front of the green monster. Um, he's going to be able to make those athletic diving plays. He's going to position himself in ways that I think are going to save hits and, and save runs, honestly, for Red Sox pitching. So I think he's a great fit with the athleticism that he has in left field. And he'll probably crash into the green monster a couple of times. He'll probably end up on the IL because of it. Uh, but he's going to make some really good plays out there and left. And I think offensively, it's a great fit because he's a power hitter from the right side and should be able to hone the talent of pulling the baseball a little bit more, pulling it with authority. And that should allow him to have a lot of success just loft fly balls up to the green monster, and he'll hit 40 home runs. I mean, I'm not saying he's going to hit 40. I don't know how he's much how much he's even going to play. Although Alex Verdugo, now a Yankee, it's probably a direct replacement that O'Neill can go into the Red Sox lineup and play pretty frequently if he's healthy. But I think he's going to hit a lot of home runs if he does play a lot because it just seems like a ballpark that would fit his style of play in a really nice way. So to be clear, I think he can be really successful. But does that mean I think it's a mistake for the Cardinals to trade him? Absolutely not. I think this was a move that had to be made when you consider the direction the Cardinals want to go for 2024. It's basically the mortal opposite of the direction that they went in 2023. I think another example of this is in the starting rotation. You look at what the Cardinals have added this offseason. Starting pitchers that they know can be reliable. Guys that are going to take the ball 30 plus times, come what may, they're going to go out there every fifth day and pitch. The Cardinals maybe want a roster that 
exemplifies that all the way around the board because the bottom absolutely dropped out of their season in 2023. 71 wins can never happen again in St. Louis. Like that is the mindset. That seems to be the mentality that the front office is taking on with the moves that they're making this offseason. So you sign Kyle Gibson and Lance Lynn and Sonny Gray, and you say, this can't happen again. We're going to make our floor 81 wins and believe that the veteran presence and the guys that we bring in can elevate the floor beyond that to where we can get back into the postseason and maybe more. That's going to always be the idea. But the problem you had with Tyler O'Neill is obviously he doesn't exemplify that reliability. He hasn't been a durable player. He hasn't been a guy that you know you can count on throughout a season. And so the Cardinals are trying to, I think, remake their roster toward that end. And you get into a situation, too, where the at-bats just weren't going to be there for Tyler O'Neill, especially when you look at the desire, it seems, to put Lars Newpar in left field. Like, that's what John Mosellock said on Monday, the mock lineup of Lars Newpar in left, Tommy Edmond in center, Jordan Walker in right field. That doesn't really leave an everyday spot for Tyler O'Neill. Doesn't even leave a fourth outfielder spot for Tyler O'Neill. That was allocated to Dylan Carlson for the time being. We'll see if the Cardinals make any other moves. But with the way the roster stands right now, I think that makes sense because you need a fourth outfielder that can play center because we're not 100% sure on what the Cardinals are going to get from Mason Wynn at this point at the shortstop position. So Tommy Edmond, if he has to backfill to shortstop, that would then put Dylan Carlson into a more prominent role in center. But the Cardinals and Ollie Marmel said it on the final day of the season, don't view Lars Newpar's best position as center. They would like to get him to settle into a corner spot. And because of the presence of Jordan Walker, he's going to play right and Newpar's going to play left. That is where they can get some more consistency. They talked about continuity in the way they want to handle the defensive alignments. I just think having Tyler O'Neill would be a square peg into a round hole of what that looks like for the Cardinals this coming season. It just feels like looking in terms of what Tyler O'Neill's role could have been for this team, there's just not a lot of opportunity. They don't really know what's going to happen with center field, but they just know that Tyler O'Neill probably isn't going to be the guy that can fill it. And you just look at the lack of performance, the lack of consistency from him over the last couple of years. I think this was always where it was heading. And then if you really want to take it a step further and try to read between the lines and into the tea leaves on some of this, I don't want to get too deep into the speculation of this because it's not necessarily fair to say definitively when we never got word that this was it specifically. But if you think back also to the final day of the season when Ollie Marmel was asked about what needs to happen over the next couple of months as the Cardinals look to turn the page from 2023 into a 2024 where things go a lot more smoothly, what do you want to see? What is What are the steps that need to be taken? And he basically said that they need to, figure out who the guys are that are playing for themselves and get them out of town. They want to have a a group of players that plays for one another and doesn't play selfishly. And you think about a guy who, again, was in the lineup for two days in a row in August down in Tampa. And because of playing on turf, wasn't so sure his knee could take it. I felt like maybe he wasn't specifically talking about Tyler O'Neill when Ollie Marmel gave that quote at the end of the season. But if he wasn't, I don't have a a much better candidate that comes to mind. And it's not even to say that, like, I think Tyler O'Neill is a selfish player. I don't think that. I think sometimes it can be really unfair because a a guy might have a certain type of personality and a a situation might come up like this one did at the beginning of his year with the fact that people called him out for hustling and he takes a lot of pride in the hustle and the, the effort that he puts into his game. 
And so that kind of gets people sideways. And I don't think there was lingering concern really for Ollie and, and Tyler throughout the season. I think they got on the same page. And then I wonder what that, that incident in August, if anything really did to kind of put in the team's mind, like, okay, what is the reliability of this player? We really did give him the opportunity this year. And this is kind of where we're at. It wouldn't be surprising to me if that was really the way that it played out. Now, this is my speculation. I want to be clear again. This is just me reading tea leaves. It's not that I've been told that that's what it was by anybody with the team, but it just feels like one of those deals where the Cardinals need to move in a direction that wasn't the stuff that happened in 2023. And notably, O'Neill's saga was kind of one of the more ugly spots of the 2023 campaign. Fair or unfair, it could be a little bit of both. Could it have been handled better by either or both sides than to let it get as public as it did? Yeah, I believe that is the case as well. But again, I hearken it back to the fact that I think Ali Marmo was about fed up as it was because for him, it was like, okay, am I totally bought in on this idea that he's going to be the center fielder? I'm not saying he wasn't. I don't know for a fact that he wasn't, but it also feels like one of those organizational philosophies that gets put into place at the beginning of a season and then you kind of see with it and so Ollie's name is the one that's on that decision right because he's the one writing Tyler O'Neill center field every day and so you have that and it's like he's got the backing of the organization at this point Ollie's name is on front of it and then it doesn't look like the guy's running around third base at that point I think Ollie just blew a fuse and was like this is not this is not the way that we need to be playing St. Louis Cardinals baseball. A lot of fans don't like Ollie Marmel because of the way the season went. And so I've seen t- I've seen it out in the ether that people take Tyler O'Neill's side on that whole saga. Like I said, could it have been handled more privately? Perhaps kind of like the situation with Wilson Contreras, where John Mozalek said this week, the Cardinals were naive to think that the transition from Yadier Molina to another catcher would be just simple enough that they wouldn't have some of the issues that they did have. And, Yachty did so many things for the organization over the years that Mo and company didn't even realize the full scope of it, which is what we speculated six months ago. It was interesting to hear John Mozalak basically say, yep, we wish we could have handled that a little bit better. He told us that this week, the media out there in Nashville. But it kind of reminds me of the Tyler O'Neill spot as well, where you say, like, could it have been handled better? Sure. But if I had to come down on one side or the other of it, I'm not on not only Marmel's side. Probably too many double negatives there. But if you look at the scope of Tyler O'Neill's season and the way it went out of guy ends up with a back injury that last two and a half months and the Cardinals throughout that were like, I don't know what's wrong with him. He, he'll play when he's going to play, I guess, which kind of is the team throwing the player under the bus. But at the same time, he missed half the year with a very vague injury, ultimately was able to get back. And again, if a guy is hurt, you want to be careful of towing that line between criticizing a guy for not being out there versus had an actual injury, and so what's the guy supposed to do? Play hurt and make it worse? Like, that's a it's a real thing, and I think from the outside, we're never going to have all the information, so I try to be as respectful and careful as I can with delving into a topic like this one, but it was a huge topic during the Cardinals season, and so I feel like it's not something that I can just entirely ignore. Has two and a half months where he's out, wasn't performing well either. It's not like he was hitting great and just couldn't get back on the field. He didn't play that well, not defensively, not offensively, had a little bit of a spark when he came back after like late July. But then a few weeks after that is he had the incident in Tampa. And then by mid-September, he was out for the rest of the year with a foot and ultimately had a like a 715 OPS 
a 94 OPS plus. He was a below average player in basically every regard, certainly offensively last year. And the, the little bit of time that he played in center field, I was not impressed defensively. Doesn't mean he can't have a good season with the Red Sox. I honestly think he will. But it was a case where the Cardinals, I mean, they made the decision to tender him a contract, as we talked about. $6 million you're on the hook for. They knew the whole way, I think, that they were going to trade him. But it would have been foolish if you can get an, something for the asset to not tender the asset a contract and find a way to move that deal. It's a comparison to, like, Dakota Hudson, Jake Woodford, Juan Yepes. People say, well, why didn't Mosaic trade those guys? I don't think they had any trade value. If they did, the Cardinals probably would have tendered those guys' contracts and moved on from them if they found the opportunity to do so. But I think with O'Neill, they knew they had to trade him. And even though his salary was higher than the rest of the bunch, or at least is projected to be through arbitration in that process, I, I think it was one of those deals where they knew that there were enough teams probably interested at the deadline, but they, they just couldn't come together on anything on August 1st when that the, the Cardinals were probably considering trading O'Neill. It was also a weird time where he had just come back from injury, and so they wanted to maybe give him some run and see what it looked like in order to make this decision in the offseason. But it seemed pretty clear that the Cardinals were going to move on from him, and they had enough confidence to actually tender him a contract because they kind of figured there's enough raw materials here that teams are going to want to trade for him. So the Cardinals make the move. I think it's a good move. I'm not saying that him going in and becoming an all-star for the Boston Red Sox would be impossible, but I'm also not saying that that would suddenly turn this into a bad move for the Cardinals because I don't think he had the role here with St. Louis. And now you can be upset about it if he is great with the Red Sox, but I think the more appropriate way to kind of diagnose that or articulate the concern over that would be the Cardinals' inability to get the most out of their players, right? Because when Randy Rosarena goes elsewhere and is fantastic with Tampa Bay, or when Adolis Garcia does the same with the Rangers, it's not that the Cardinals necessarily made the worst trades or moves in the world because you look at the time, nobody else wanted Adolis Garcia. The Rangers DFA'd him as well. The deal with the Rosarena and uh, the Tampa Bay Rays, yeah, you, you thought you were getting a top pitching prospect who was a first rounder and Matthew Libertor just hasn't panned out. So, like, you can, you can at least see how some of those things happen. But if those abilities were within those players, why is it that the Cardinals weren't getting it out of them? Or why weren't the Cardinals identifying that it was there in the first place? Like, I think in the case of Tyler O'Neill, they have exhausted every opportunity with this player. But you can wonder, if he's able to be successful somewhere else, what's, what's the system in place organizationally that prevented him from doing it in St. Louis? I think that's a fair question. Lane Thomas is another great example of that. Because I looked at Lane Thomas the last time he was playing with the Cardinals. I think it was 2021 when they dealt him. He looked completely lost. Like, he looked like I would look playing outfield in a major league stadium. He had no business being out there. He looked terrible. And if you don't remember it, you either weren't watching or this is totally revisionist history for you looking at a box score or looking at a baseball reference page and saying, Lane Thomas is great. Yeah, he is great. He has turned himself into a really fine player. He looked completely like the, the Monstars took his talent in Space Jam, but that was like post-COVID, and he did was one of the guys that had COVID, and so maybe there was like a COVID brain fog thing going on. Like, these are the things that we can talk about in retrospect and wonder about. My point is it's organizationally the Cardinals' responsibility and nobody else's to figure out why does it keep happening and how do we prevent it? How do we figure out a way to get the most out of these players. That's what you would hope the Cardinals would be thinking. But specific to Tyler O'Neill, 
it would be revisionist history, I think, to come next year and say, oh, man, he's great. Like, the Cardinals made a mistake to trade him away for nothing or to trade him away for a couple of just, you know, relievers that we had never heard of. It's the narrative that's going to exist. But nobody right now that's really been paying attention thinks Tyler O'Neill was the guy that they should be backing for 2024. Like, they did that in 2023. It may not look it because he only played half a season, but that's due to injury. But 2023 was the season more so than any of the other six or five other years in Tyler O'Neill's career in St. Louis where the Cardinals threw their full weight behind him as an organization and as a front office. They gave him every platform to succeed, and it did not happen. It's not to say that he can't do it after kind of a a change of scenery or a breath of fresh air somewhere new. It's just going to get old, I think, for the Cardinals and their fans, certainly, that seems to be the continual trend. But I'm not going to sit here and say the Cardinals messed up trading Tyler O'Neill. It was the only option. It was the only option for this team. Because if you spend another year going down the Tyler O'Neill route and say, yeah, he's going to be the everyday left fielder and whatever other moves need to happen with the roster to make that, you know, be accommodated. And then he plays 80 games again and OPS is 700. Now you've wasted three years in a row on a player that by now you can kind of predict that that is going to be the outcome with St. Louis. It's probably going to be better somewhere else. I can't explain why that is, and the Cardinals do have to reckon with it, but the way that you're able to reckon with it and get over it and get people to stop talking about it is by having a great outfield. I think Lars Newtbar can be a good anchor to the outfield and left. Jordan Walker's going to have to be offensively. Like, he's got to be a dude because the Cardinals have staked a lot on him, and defensively, he's down there in Jupiter this offseason working on it. We'll see if it ends up being enough to show you know, considerable improvement at, at right field defensively. And then they got to figure out ten, center field as well. I think Tommy Edmond defensively can be that guy and he can be helpful to a pitching staff that does have a decent number of fly ball pitchers on it. But what happens offensively with Tommy Edmond playing center every day? I'm not sure if he can command. Like to me, outfielders, they need to be 110 OPS plus or better. You need to be hitting well to be in the outfield. That's just the way that modern lineups to me ought to be constructed. But you can afford one or two here or there that are more just league average. But if Edmund's going to be league average, what's Mason Wynn going to be a shortstop? Because I think if they can get league average offense from him, it's going to end up being just fine. But he was not league average offensively down the stretch in 2023. So if the Cardinals are saying, hey, this whole thing is contingent upon Mason Wynn playing good shortstop and hitting decently enough, giving us enough production from the shortstop position at the plate, that's what could allow Tommy Edmund to play center field But if it doesn't, you could kind of see a domino effect that could put the Cardinals in a difficult spot based on the way they are projecting and constructing their outfield. As for the O'Neill deal, though, I think it was the right move for the Cardinals. They didn't get any more or any less than I expected they would get. People thought, oh, Tanner Houck. I I saw some crazy comments of of what the Cardinals might have gotten when we saw initially that the Red Sox were the team getting O'Neill. Like, there was never going to be anybody that you thought had a lot of pizzazz in terms of trade value or name recognition because Tyler O'Neill's got one year left and he's got a decent sized salary that a team's got to have to take on. So for the Cardinals to get a couple of flyers and to get rid of the salary, that's another aspect of this. The Cardinals should be well positioned to add to their team in terms of pitching. Maybe that's via trade for somebody that has a salary like a Tyler Glass now, like a Dylan Cease even. Or maybe they're able to sign another free agent as a result. But they did move away $5, 6000000 million of expected obligation. I think that ends up being to their benefit 
as well. But let me know if your impressions of the Tyler O'Neill trade are the same as mine. I've been telegraphing that this was coming for months. Some people may be disappointed to see that, hey, they traded Tyler O'Neill, who's a pretty big name. Like, he's played more, you know, 1,600 plate appearances for the Cardinals over the last five years or whatever it's been. Like, that's significant for people. Maybe there is some disappointment in Cardinals land today. I want to hear from you guys in the comments section below. Appreciate you guys, as always, for watching and listening on YouTube or on B-Shape Daily Podcast Feed, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and the like. Thank you guys so much for being with me, and stay tuned for more Cardinals content the rest of the offseason. That's going to do it for this edition of the show. We'll talk to you next time on what I am still calling B-Shape Daily, even though I didn't do the normal intro. Peace.